and welcome to another episode of Downtime with the Cranston Public Library. We're a podcast for cool people who love libraries where we talk about what we've been reading, what we've been watching, and what we've been loving. I'm your host, Taylor, and the branch librarian at the Oaklawn Branch Library, and my pronouns are she, her. Hi, I'm Dave. I'm the coordinator of adult services at the Central Library, and my pronouns are he, him. And I am Jody Vinson. I'm the program director at Lit Arts RI. We're a nonprofit in Providence serving Rhode Island writers, illustrators, and podcasters. So happy to be here. We're happy to have you. And um, also for added context, we are recording in person at Lit Art RI's podcasting studio. So we're very happy to be here. And we'll talk a little bit later on um, their studio and how you can access their um services, their co-working space, all of that good stuff. So if you like what you're hearing, head over to Lit Art RI. Um, but before we get into that, let's start off as we always do with what have you been reading? I read a lot of nonfiction. Um, I'm a nonfiction writer, so that's kind of what I gravitate towards. Um, I actually just finished two books that I found um, kind of fascinating because they're kind of in conversation with each other. And one is American Breakdown by Jennifer London, um, who is um, someone who experienced um, ME-CFS, uh, myalgic encephalomyelitis, chronic fatigue syndrome, um, for about 20 years. Um, and during that time, discovered the biography of Alice James, who is the s- sister of Henry James, um, who is also chronically ill. Um, and so London does this amazing job of showing, drawing um, connections between her illness and this, you know, 19th century illness that was often called neurasthenia, often... Um, afflicting women and um, as well as looking at just kind of the causes for chronic illness and chronic illness being on the rise. The other book was Emily Wells' A Matter of Appearance, um, who also really interestingly draws connections with a historical kind of woman of the past, Um, this time a woman named Augustine, who was one of the famous hysterics in Paris, who was a patient of Dr. Charcot's. So, um, you know, both these books are kind of examining the medical system, present-day medical system, and drawing some amazing conclusions as well as kind of being partial biographies um, about these women of the past. Um, So I thought they were both really important reads um, about something that's both relevant in our past and our present. Yeah. No, that sounds (laughs) – those both sound fantastic. Um, And, uh, yeah, and the kind of – I always think it's interesting, like um, Lucy Ninesley did it when she – wrote Kid Gloves, which is her graphic memoir about her experience being pregnant, but she also looked at, like, how we've treated pregnancy through the years. So I think it's very it's very interesting to look at, like, how the medical field has treated women specifically, mm-hmm. because I think that's still a problem that we're grappling with today of a lot of, like, you know, it's in your head, it's not as bad as you're making it seem like it is. Would you like to try Prozac? Like, yeah, it's it, where it's like, no, you actually need to treat the root of the problem, mm. which is not always in people's heads, often very, very real. Yeah, exactly. I think there's a lot to identify with in both of these women's experiences. Um, and also just I think they both have kind of a balanced perspective on kind of the system itself and where they, the issues start. 
um, in like 15 minute doctor consultations. How much can we really, you know, explain about chronic illness during that time and yeah. and a lot of issues like that. So there's a lot to to like about these books. And the whole like 15 minute doctor consultation thing, like <laughs> that came out of the insurance companies. But I would like to think most doctors would wish they could take more time with patients, but like the way that it's set up in order for it to be um like sustainable for them, not even profitable, but just like sustainable for them is like we have to do what the insurance companies want us to do, which is fit as many people as possible into one day by slotting them into 15 minute slots Yeah, um, for them to tell us about everything that happened in the past year, all mm-hmm. of their concerns. And uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it can be. It's I think I find it helpful to look at the whole like system as the problem rather than, you know, focus in on these injustices that happen individually in the exam room. Um, and I think having that broader historical lens on on how long this has been going on can help us and then hopefully look towards solutions, too. Mm. But um, yeah, those so those are my, the two nonfiction recommendations I have. I guess I have one more while we're talking about systemic yeah. injustices. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is um but the um, the Heartbeat at Wounded Knee by David Troyer is a book I've just started, um, and I have an opportunity to meet this author in August. So um, that's one reason I'm reading it. But it's um, a history of of Native Americans in the U.S. But it's looking; it's actually like from Wounded Knee on, like and mm-hmm. and celebrating the presence and the life um, of of Native people. And um, so I am just starting that and looking forward to reading more of that. Yeah, that was um, we we just uh, I think it was last year, the year before finished a giant and I say we it wasn't me. It was our cataloger at the library um, recataloged all of our Native American books because uh, we found out that they were almost all in history. Mm-hmm. And so then and, and the challenge of, like you said, w- that's not history. These are people that are here you know, yes. still, and just basically took the entire collection and spread it out to be like, this is actually about social science. This is actually about cooking, you know, like books about Native American um, cooking and foodways were finding themselves in history when this is people who live here now and they deserve to not be in history, basically, you know, to be in the, you know, the living now of, that you might find in, you know, the cook the cooking sections and all of that um, religion, um, yep. you know, that's... I think really important to keep in mind. That's so fascinating. And again, it shows how much our systems kind of can yes. just become complicit with injustice or those things like you would never think that just how you arrange your bookshelf right. could could matter. And it does. And mm-hmm. that's that's fascinating. Yeah. 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 I mean, well, public libraries, a majority of public libraries are dealing with the Dewey Decimal System, which was a system <laughs> oh, that no. was created in the like late 1800s. Right. It was um, Melville Dewey's graduate school project. And so <laughs> I, did, that, I never knew that knowing that we are living with a white man who, frankly, was kind of a jerk in his time. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, um, he got kicked out of the ALA, which he helped build, found establish. Yeah. Because he was uh, a sex pest generally. And we're, you know, we're trying to find ways to make this work because any, like you said, any like human endeavor is going to have some bias in it because the person making it is going to have their opinions and thoughts about things, no matter how well-intentioned. Um, and so that we're able to try and fix things within that system mm-hmm. is, you know, we're, we're trying 
but what books books are next to is always going to say something to people. Another good example is um, books on um, transgender people used to be next to like sexual deviancy. And, you know, that's that's another one where like Mm. that was changed a long time ago, but you'll still find books that are accidentally there and you Mm. just put them in a better place. Yeah. 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 I I think I, I remember in some training or something, an example of being like, if your book's about sexual assault or like not that far away from true crime, which it Mm. really isn't, um, if you think about Dewey and if you have a collection as small as mine, but yeah, like, what are you saying about like this happening to people and, and also just the vibe of true crime being very much like voyeurism on crime, which I don't exactly, I'm I'm not trying to yuck other people's yum. I know people find it fascinating and it's a, it's a big thing in a big genre, but there's some part of me that's like, Why? My mom was recently reading a true crime book that was given to her by her neighbor and recognized the name of the serial killer in it as someone she dated as an 18-year-old. Oh, dear. oh my God! Oh, wow. My mom dated a serial killer. And mm. lived to tell and about it. And lived to it. tell about it and didn't know wow. until now, like 40 years later. So yeah. I haven't really gone there because I, I myself am... <laughs> I guess too sensitive to read very much into mm-hmm. true crime. I'll have nightmares. No, but. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, an interesting re- recommendation that I guess I think about with that is uh, the cartoonist Durf Backdurf did mm-hmm. uh, the book My Friend Dahmer, mm-hmm. um, and that is it's not about Jeffrey Dahmer and what he did. It is about the author's experience going to high school with him. Oh, fascinating! And, yeah, uh, and so it's really like you know. It's piecing things together. It's ridiculously well researched. Like the the um, what's the word? The I notes. Should... The bibliography. The bibliography. Okay. Thank you. I should know the word. <laughs> Library. Yeah, uh, that's like my thing. <laughs> the bibliography is like you know dozen, two dozen pages. That it's just he interviewed people. He did mm-hmm. all of this research to put this together, and it is it is explicitly not kind of that lurid look. And he mm. actually has an introduction to the book that's like. If you're reading this book for that, I want you to put this book down, essentially, because that's not what this is about. Um, And it really is, you know, it really focuses on the people that were impacted and his experience with this person, because he was kind of running in a social circle with him, as it Mm -hmm. turned out. Mm -hmm. And then it ended with him getting the phone call that was like, didn't you go to high school with this guy? (laughs) You know, when when everything kind of came out. And like, so his experience kind of up to that point. But it was more of a personal memoir. I'm going to have to recommend it to my mom Um, because, yeah, those are the questions that it it evokes a lot of questions. Yeah. So what books have you been reading or recommend? Um, I was going to say, do you have anything that you want to jump in with? I guess one other one that I I was really excited for and then lived up to the hype and actually made me laugh and cry and feel like just a deep sense of hope for the author. So it was Boys Weekend by Maddie Lubchansky. So it's a recent graphic novel. It's set in a weird near future where there's this place that's coded like, you know, Las Vegas meets The Purge. Ooh. Um, you know, sort of like <laughs> really, you know, like we know you all have these desires and we will help you fulfill oh, okay. them with like weird. It's, oh, like um, a like a wreck-it room. Yeah, kind of. But, <laughs> but, but also if you imagine the worst things you could do with like human cloning, um, Ooh, you know, okay. it's, it's really weird. Yeah. Um, but the main character is Sammy, um, who is a trans artist assistant and has been invited to be the best man um, for um, – for a friend who was actually the best man at her wedding. And so, of course, there is a transition that happened here. And there are a lot of, you know, the thoughts and feelings. But Sammy kind of ends up being the final girl in an eldritch god, you know, explosion on this island. And it really goes beyond just being sort of a, a fun 
horror romp with Sammy's personal story and how that's kind of brought out over the course of the book. And then, you know, just, you know, Sammy's out in her life, but all of this friend group doesn't really know her like that. And so the struggle of like, Mm. how do I introduce people to the person I am now? How do I come to terms with the person I used to be? And there's a, a moment where she's got her wedding photo up with this friend who's getting married. And like, it's her wedding photo from before her transition. Yeah. Right? And still has that and still, you know, feels a kinship with this person. But there's also just these friends that are like, why are you even doing this? Why don't you just leave? And then things really jump off the deep end. And um, she does a really good job with it and also makes fun of um, there's a lot of really funny background gags, which I always love that, that it's just <laughs> every page is filled with. Like, I can't believe that that's there or this is happening. And then background gags that kind of leap into the action through the course of the book. Uh, so I really, really liked that. Really cool book. Sounds so layered. I'm, yeah. And <laughs> yeah, for a graphic novel, too, I'm interested. So I guess like update from the last time I was recording, which I don't know exactly when you listeners were listening to it, that I was talking about <laughs> trying to get into reading nonfiction in the morning. But I was waiting for this like acrylic book weight to come in so I could read while I was eating. It did came in so far. It's been really good and it has allowed me to make my way through Mating in Captivity by Esther Perel. And Esther Perel is like a very foundational voice in couples therapy, um, sex therapy. And I don't know if this is her first book, but it definitely was the book that like put her on the map as like kind of like the Brene Brown of sex therapy. Mm. Um, (laughs) And uh, it's all about long-term relationships and kind of how we navigate the fact that, like, as human beings, we're not necessarily wired for monogamy, like, on our most instinctual level, but at a societal level, monogamy is the norm, and if you participate in monogamy, it comes with challenges in terms of, like, sustaining desire for one person over such a long period of time, and she's basically kind of navigating that and, and kind of asking a lot of questions and and trying to come up with answers as best she can from her experience doing therapy with people of like, is it possible? And if so, like, how mm. do we do it? And yeah, so far, I'm kind of having mixed feelings about it. Like she told a couple to stop cuddling. Yeah, she goes on this whole point about how like intimacy, if you if you become so close and so intimate that you become like fused as a partnership and then there's no mystery and curiosity and no force like moving you towards the other person. So I guess like that's kind of where that was coming from. That She's like, if you're touching all the time, if you're constantly like so physically affectionate with each other, um, but in like a non-sexual way, then there's no like. There's very little separation between you two. But, yeah, there was part of me that was like, I don't know if that's good advice. (laughs) Cuddling's nice. Yeah, right? I'm like, I think it's still important. And I think there's other ways that we could still be curious about our partner. And, I mean, I don't think it was like a – I don't think she was saying never cuddle again. But it was like part of the therapeutic process Mm. is she was like, yeah, stop. And I was like – I still was like, don't know how I feel about that. Um, But I also – I wanted to read this book and I wanted to read The Science of Trust by John Gottman, who him and his wife are also very more in like love and relationship and couples therapy, but they are also very like foundational Mm -hmm. and have been doing this work for a long time. And in other reading I was doing, they were kind these books were kind of um, presented as like foils of each other of like there is the Esther Perel school of like there needs to be curiosity of separation. And then there's like the Gottman school of 
that it's more about just like making that deep connection and feeling like you can continue to like get to know like that that you're you're on a journey as a couple to continue to to get to know each other and all the people that you both will become over your lifetime um and that that's how you still stay like close and and still have like desire and curiosity um within your relationship so i kind of was like even if i don't know if i necessarily land where i will agree with esther perel like i want to read it and read both of them and come to my own conclusions about um about love and long-term relationships <laughs> yeah i love reading books in conversation like that i think yep. it's so smart i also want to recommend for podcast listeners um esther perel's podcast um how should we begin where should we begin one of those, um, uh, which is how I first uh, came to um, know about her work on like a car ride across the country with my partner. So that was intense, you know, just episode after episode of listening. You know, these are live couples therapy sessions. Yeah. Um, but she's fantastic to listen to. And we'll also like step back and talk to the audience about what she's thinking as a therapist in these moments or even self-correct after the fact. Um, and then I think during the pandemic, she also recorded a podcast called How's Work, which is about work relationships. So, mm. you know, if you ever any librarians at the Cranston Public Library <laughs> yes. wanna, <laughs> having any work tension or anywhere, um, that's also a, a great podcast. Yeah. All right. Um, so we spent a lot of time talking about books, but I think it's a great conversation. Um, but is there anything like movies, TV, other media that you want to touch on before we move on? So I have just recently started to get back into the theater, the movie theater. And that's been a joy. Um, <laughs> also, just like I get movie snacks because I never was allowed those as a child. Like we were always told the movie is the treat. So I've just been <laughs> indulging, you know, after this oh, period of abstinence from both movies and <laughs> snacks. You're giving them a gift later in life. <laughs> yes, right. I'm telling okay. you. It's, it's a joy. I never feel sick. I just get it all. And yeah. it's great. Oh. So um, the two movies I most recently saw were... Um, into the across the Spider Verse, the second, yeah, Spider Verse one, and then the new Wes Anderson film, um, which I'm forgetting. The yeah, title I was of, like, yeah. I, I can, I was like, I saw the trailers, oh. totally. <laughs> Asteroid we'll City. There out. we go. Yeah, there like, we go. It's just a podcast oh. blank. Um, so uh, I guess I'd recommend both movies. Mm. They're both a lot of fun. But the, I mean, I think I might even say the Across the Spider Verse like blew me away. Yeah, it was such a beautiful movie. And also had such an emotional depth. Mm -hmm. um, and also, I love Gwen's hairstyle. And they have shown, they have shown yes. a picture to my hairstylist <laughs> of this animated character. And now just told yeah. everyone that. Yeah, so you sounds like you. Oh, my gosh. I'm, I've been yeah. a Spider-Man kid since 1992. Oh, awesome. um, and so, like... I've enjoyed all of the Marvel stuff. I do feel like the the main Marvel, it feels like it's jumped a shark a little for me personally. Um, but yeah, the Spider-Verse movies, they don't have any need to be as good as they are. I think that's what it is, where it could be half as good and I would love it. But the level of detail, the level of care and, you know, just right. Every character has emotional depth. There, there are no like flat characters and when they kind of teased what was going to happen next and it ended up being like to be concluded in the third movie right i was like i would have sat there for another two hours and watched it right there i felt the same way i was prepared <laughs> yeah yeah and i mean you've been a long time spider-man 
fan. I don't, I, I don't even know what to call a Spider-Man fan. I, yeah. I, I came to this just without that history. And mm-hmm. so the fact that I was just absolutely, you know, I really think it's for almost right. everyone. Mm-hmm. You don't yes. have to be a Marvel fan yes. to really enjoy both those, the first and the second. That's really movie. it. Looking and like it. Spider-Man and like Peter Parker, it was dream fulfillment for a nerdy white kid in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that it's explicitly with all of the different characters and just the the ethos of the Spider-Verse movies that's like anybody can have that moment with one of these characters. And I just think it's like inviting everyone to the party. Like everyone can come and have a great time. My Spider-Man's there. Everyone else's Spider-Man's there. All your Spider-Man's are great. Like and just being able to see all those characters interacting and like so many Spider-Mans and the same thing like so many sight gags and like little Easter eggs that I was like oh my gosh Ben Riley!" it was like Ben <laughs> Riley, and then they played him perfectly and I go with my niece because she likes the way I react at, at Marvel movies because she's like you're the one that lets me know that there's something I need to pay attention to that's fascinating <laughs> and um and and it's kind of like and I just like exploded and she's laughing and I was just like oh my god like this character is so true to what he was in the comic books and, um, you know, it's just it you can tell they're all fans and that they're making something really special. And I think elevating it to the level of art yeah. where people can find the meanings that they need to find in it and everybody can find something in it. And there's that level of universality yeah. um, where, like, you also have to like Spider-Man. If you don't like Spider-Man, who that's doesn't fine. like Spider-Man? Right. I mean... or, or if you don't like watching animated films, like, yeah. OK, sure. like, you know, but I feel like everybody could find something in that. Absolutely. That's the message of the of the whole movie is finding finding your family. And then when your family that you found ends up not being the people you thought that you found returning yeah. to your family, like those are all human experiences right. that I think anyone can hang their hat on. Absolutely. Or their Spider-Man mask, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't seen it. I had a I had a feeling where it was like, oh, I, I mean, it'll probably come out to streaming and they'll just watch it. But now I just had the thought that I was like, well, yeah, but Disney doesn't own Spider-Man, so mm-hmm. it's not going to come out on Disney Plus. So was it going to come out? <laughs> and you should see it on, the, I would say, yeah. see it on the big screen. And also, if you go, do you know that you see a different version yes. in each theater? There are, there, are like, there are multiple versions of various things. Yeah. And oh, so like minor, so not the point where yeah, if you went and talked yeah. to someone, they were it's all like, like, what do you mean you saw a different movie? But like, <laughs> oh, like okay. Clue. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Famously, Clue, um, I grew up watching it on VHS, and there's three endings. And it's like, but maybe it happened this way, but maybe it happened this way. Um, but in the original theatrical run, there were three separate movies, and you, everyone would have a different, like, whodunit end from that. I can definitely recommend That's Clue. wild, though. Yeah, because it's like, a really funny movie. Because, like, if you talk to people about it. Yes. Like, it's... Yes. And it was it was not a critical box office success, but in VHS, they were like, well, we're not going to put out three VHSs. We'll just put them all in one and make it look like that's what we meant to do. And it's funnier that way, which is kind of funny. Um, is yeah. Tim Curry in that? Kim, Tim Curry's in okay. that. Yeah, Michael McKean. Um, uh, Catherine Hahn is... Oh, so yeah, like a lot of... Catherine Hahn. No, I'm going to have to cut that. It's Madeline Kahn. Oh, okay. Madeline Kahn. um, And everybody's just fantastic in it. It's a really funny movie. Totally worth it. Yeah, I want to say I saw it in the theater, but I I didn't know that, so... You just thought you just had the story. Oh, no, yeah, there's... Got to go rent the VHS, I guess. I was just going to say, how do you think they handled that if if it is on a streaming platform somewhere? Oh, I'm sure. I, at this point, I think the like video, home video release is what anyone would see. Oh, okay. I don't think, yeah, because that was in the '80s. I think that came out. So, yeah, there's two other endings to that movie. All right, <laughs> it's, a, it's all in front yeah. of me. And we'll return to the show after a quick break. 
The library is launching a new collection, School Tools. Check out tools, toys, games, and interesting objects for learning and play from Central Library, including a microscope, toy cast register, robots, and more. The tools are meant to support parents who are teaching at home and encourage kids to pursue their passions. If you have suggestions or feedback for this new collection, email emily at emilybrown at cranstonlibrary.org. If you're participating in the 2023 Adult Summer Reading Beanstack Challenge, the secret code for listening to the podcast is subscribe. Again, the secret code is subscribe. Learn more and join the fun at cranstonlibrary.beanstack.com. And remember to drink your Ovaltine. So let's move on to Lit Art RI. You guys are in a new location. So this is a very exciting new chapter for you all, right? Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, and thanks so much for being here with us in the new location. Um, for our listeners, we just gave a tour to our podcast host, <laughs> and I can certainly give a sense of what the, the new space is like. Um, for those of you not familiar with the organization, we've been around for almost five years. Actually, this fall will be our five-year anniversary, um, and we were located in downtown Providence. Um, with, with a co-working space basically designed for writers or designed for introverts, as some people like to say, <laughs> um, with some cozy writing nooks and places you can get focused, work done, really designed for kind of with creatives in mind. Um, but yeah, we've gone through a lot of transition over the last couple months um, and moved into this new space. We're at 400 Harris Ave, um, Unit E in Providence, um, so in the Valley neighborhood. So we've got, we're really excited about the neighborhood itself. The steel yard is here and has been for like 20 years. Farm Fresh RI, we've got New Harvest Coffee. I can't even name all the great businesses and restaurants. There's a brewery, you know, um, distillery bakery in the same building. I mean, everything a writer could need to fuel your writing, (laughs) coffee, beer, you know, pizza, tacos, everything. So anyway, come on down to the Valley neighborhood and check out the new space because we're really excited to show it to folks. There's um, just great uh, kind of light, open, airy, kind of almost cafe style seating. Um, There's focused writing nooks for folks to get their work done, Um, meeting rooms, uh, training room. full kitchen. And we also have this fabulous podcast studio. And we all are are co-working and and rental rates are below market. We try to keep them affordable for Mm -hmm. creatives and freelancers and whoever might need the space. So come check us out. Yeah. So you guys are a membership organization. Um, So do you want to talk a little bit more about if someone is like, yeah, I've been looking for a place to, you know, co-work because I went virtual with my job or X, Y, and Z reason, um, how they can, how they can show up here. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I hear that a lot. I know a lot of us, including myself, we were closed for a long time working from home. I know what that's like, um, as well as know what it's like to try to find like creative space that works when you're in, you know, maybe a, a smaller living space or you have laundry to do and, you know, all those distractions. So, um, Yeah, so first of all, anyone can stop by for a free tour anytime we're open. We're open Tuesday through Saturday right now, and we'll have someone who can show you around. Um, It it is a membership-based organization. That membership helps support the work of our nonprofit and then also gets you some great benefits. Um, So, uh, like, we do a lot of programming, which we can talk about, too, so you get free access to programming and... um, Discounts at local bookstores, which is nice, um, especially probably for this podcast audience, <laughs> readers. Um, 
And so you can join uh, at that monthly rate. And it's uh, we kind of have different levels that you can join at. So the standard membership is just $15 a month. We do waive that fee for BIPOC creatives. And there's also like a budget membership and a supporter membership if you want to, you know, support someone else's membership. We mm-hmm. really encourage that because um, we really want it to be accessible to everyone. Um, we do have the co-working rates are an additional add-on. Um, again, we try to keep them uh, lower than kind of market co-working space, and we always have a sliding scale available for people so they can always approach us or bundle their co-working passes for to make it more affordable. Um, and then, uh, yeah, to use the studio, um, you don't have to be a member to use the studio anymore, but you do get a better rate. So mm-hmm. all our room rental rates, including the studio, are half off kind of the normal market price. Um, and uh, and that's just a great resource for folks, too. So it's just $20 an hour to use the studio. Um, and, yeah, again, if you have any, if anyone has any questions about it, they can just reach out to us because mm-hmm. we want this space to be for everyone. And so you mentioned programming. Yeah. Um, so is there any upcoming programming that you are really excited about now that you guys have this new space to host it in? Yes. Great question. Um, yeah, I'm really excited for the year ahead. So we've been planning um, uh, a year of programming under kind of an annual theme. And the theme for this year is um, cultivating care through restorative narratives. So really a focus around care in different areas. Um, so we're going to have a uh, kickoff event in September um, that will be focused on this this topic. We're going to bring someone actually in from the medical humanities, um, a guest speaker, Dr. Suzanne Coven, who's the writer in residence at Massachusetts General Hospital. Um, and that event will have kind of a, a writing workshop component too. So people who have been through illness experiences or caregiving experiences of any kind of broad type um, can come together to talk about that kind of power of narrative to create empathy across these experiences. Um, that will lead into we'll have some uh, writing craft workshops led by local teaching artists this fall. Um, so those are actually already up on our website and throughout the fall. Um, so you can check those out. Um, again, they're kind of loosely related to that theme. Um, anything from writing the risky personal narrative to writing for bodies on stage for playwrights um, to writing the surreal for underrepresented bodies. Those are kind of our fall writing workshops coming up. Um we're going to have uh, someone come and talk to writers about writers' residencies because we do like to have programming that kind of supports the practical side of how you just exist as a creative in the world, what supports your work, you know. And and I think the idea of self-care and care through community is built into writers' residencies. Um, so that will be coming up in October. We head into NaNoWriMo, which I know I've talked with you all about in the past on this podcast. Um, we've always all since the beginning been supportive of writers who are taking that write a novel in a month, the National Novel Writing Month Challenge. Um, so we'll be doing some write-ins for that and also kind of a panel on non-traditional routes to publishing, um, again, in cultivating care around kind of the resilience in the face of rejection. It's a really difficult market, literary market out there. So how do we kind of come together, um, shore up that resilience and find ways to get our work out into the world? Um, so that's kind of a bit of the lineup for the fall. We do have some ongoing programs like uh, monthly coffee chats for BIPOC creatives led by our advisory committee. Um, those are kind of looking to be the last Saturday of the month where um, writers of color can come together and talk, have coffee, do a little writing together here in this space. Um, so, yeah, and as well as our, our bi-monthly podcast training. So there's a lot yeah. going on. Hopefully <laughs> I haven't, haven't missed anything, but that's a little preview of what's coming up. 
Fantastic. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm curious about, and I'm so I, I follow you all on Twitter, and I love when there's like a you know new member yeah. and like sharing new members. And I'm just thinking about the membership as a community. Like, what can you mm-hmm. what can you share about like you know the work that they do, or yeah. you know how the community you know is represented mm-hmm. um, in the work that they do? Yeah, it's really a a widespread eclectic mm. group of creatives. So we say we serve, you know, makers of the written, spoken, and illustrated word. So that's a wide net, yeah. you know. Um, and one thing that we got going during the pandemic were these local writing groups that kind of speak to those niche areas or genres that we see people producing work in. So um, I'll give a shout out to our sci-fi fantasy group because that's been going the longest pre-pandemic and is still going online, um, going strong. And uh, they meet weekly to share work and write. Wow. Um, but we have about nine or ten different groups going right now. And that's been great because that's where the work happens, like people are sharing work. But you'll see, you know, a screenwriters group, um, a group just for accountability for writers you know, poets and novel writers. So it's across genres. Um, and I'd also encourage people to, you know, when if you stop into our literary center here, um, we have a local author bookshelf, which is just, um, it's kind of amazing to see all the work that's uh, been produced in Rhode Island by Rhode Island authors. So we have writers, you know, um, publishing, you know, professionally and who have been for a long time, career career artists and also, you know, emerging artists and folks who are who are just kind of um, starting to experiment in this world. Um, and, you know, all are welcome. Um, I think everyone benefits from, you know, a quiet place to write and also community, which mm-hmm. we continue to try to cultivate to connect those folks. Um, so that we leaned into that during the pandemic, especially when we didn't have this physical space. We were having, you know, virtual chats around different topics. And I think that helped people find each other in a time when it was hard to find each other. Um, but yeah, it's great to be back open in this space because those conversations and community can build in a more organic way. So for example, yesterday, at the end of the day, there were two writers left in the space. And we I looked at them and I was like, you both haven't met, but you both were published by the same publisher. Um, and so, you know, they <laughs> yeah. got to like connect and and it's just great to see that happening again. So is there anything else that we haven't touched on already that you want our listeners to know about either the space or your organization as a whole? Yeah, I just, I guess, more than anything, just want people to know that um, it's a welcoming space that's open to all. I feel like writing and all forms of art uh, can be intimidating for people and also vulnerable. And so that's part of why we have this space for you, because we value what you do. And it's also difficult to find um, that in the world around you sometimes because we're often like isolated writing at home and we don't always have that affirmation from peers um, or from the world around us that this act that takes a lot of time and a lot of work is important and has value. So we've created this space that really you come in here and you see that you feel that it has value, right? You know, in in the way that it's been designed. And um, so so I, I'd, I'd hope that people could feel that and also know they're they're welcome, you know, to stop by, reach out um, and, you know, let us know how we can help support your creative work because that's what we're here for. Fantastic. So we wrap up the show with a segment I call The Last Chapter where we talk about a library or bookish related question. And so I thought I would ask you both, um, have you ever had a crush on a book character? And if so, who was it? <laughs> yes. Oh, wow. 
See, that's why I was like, Jody will have an answer to this question. Yes. Uh, it's such a good question. Have you, are you still thinking? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I guess the first character that comes to mind, and I don't know if I'd call it a crush, but I think um, Meg from the uh, um, Wrinkle in Time. Oh, that's a good one. I, I feel like as a kid reading that, I was kind of like... It was like meeting someone I've never met before and just being really interested in them mm. and just being like, you know, just it's so, you know, talking about like finding identity from Spider-Man, like that's the inverse of like, mm. you know, feeling like I'm getting to peek in on someone else's story. And that felt very vulnerable for that character. Um, and so I guess that's the first character that I was like drawn to mm. or a character I think of that I was drawn to from a book. Um and she went through a lot of really sad things. That was a tough book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just read a young adult book that kind of um, leaned into Wrinkle in Time by Rebecca Stead, I want to say. Does this ring a bell? Because I'm not going to remember the title. Yeah, Re <laughs> Rebecca Stead does write, the, like, the, yeah. middle grade yeah. young adult novels. Yeah, someone had recommended that to me. It was, it was great. Mm -hmm. um, but it reminded me of my love for Wrinkle in Time back then, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so Stephen Dedalus, uh is a character by uh, James Joyce, and, you know, it's not so much him and Ulysses because he's kind of elusive and maybe a little standoffish there, but in Portrait of an Artist, um, when I read that in my early 20s, um, I think just his kind of, um, I don't know, divide from the way he the kind of conventions, uh, conventional thought and everything and his kind of exploration and call to like travel. It was very romantic. And I think I identified with that romantic call mm. and then maybe associated with his character a little bit too. So, um, you know, I would say Stephen Dedalus is my strange, <laughs> nerdy, literary crush. I'm sure there are others, but he's the first one who came to mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. What about you? Can we ask you too? Yeah. I mean, I've answered this question before on the show and... <laughs> Now my answers feel very like shallow. They're definitely not <laughs> no, nearly no. as deep as that because I was like, I was like, I I was like the perfect age for Twilight when it came out, oh, and I was like very Team Edward. And now in hindsight, now in hindsight, I'm all like, why? Yeah, I'm like that was a problematic fave. Um, <laughs> problematic. Fave. He's like a hundred and something years old, and she's a teenager. But whatever. Um, but also, you know, fantasy stories with people who don't age get weird, too, because it's like right. you can't date people that you are, are your contemporaries because you're, like, essentially stuck in this phase in your life physically, if not emotionally. Right. Um, but also, like, on the on the vein of, like, YA, because I think pretty much kind of, like, right out of the Twilight phase, I went into The Mortal Instruments by Cassandra Clare and then, like... The the movie, Jace, and then the show, the show I did not think they cast a cute enough actor, sorry, guy. <laughs> I was like, that's not who I pictured yeah. in my head. Mm. But in the book, I was just like, this is a swoon-worthy man. Mm. Like, this is, a, like, she has writ written a very compelling romance that you see why, like, the main character is attracted to him. Um, so, yeah. That can was I, that. Can I add two more? <laughs> yeah, go for it. <laughs> as you're talking, I got very inspired. Yeah. So first of all, on the YA track, um, I, this didn't happen when I was 12 necessarily or whenever I read The Outsiders. Didn't have a crush. But I recently was on an airplane. For some reason, they had the movie. Did not, <laughs> I had not watched it before. Okay. Oh, my gosh. There are so many beautiful boys in that movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, who, who all? Emilio Estevez, Tom Cruise. Yeah. Um, 
Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe. Oh, yeah. I was, like, okay, yeah. I, I was ready with um, the Rob Pat- Lowe. Patrick Swayze. Yeah. I mean, they're yeah. all in there. Oh, is it I Matt Damon too? I, yeah, I was, yeah. I, I remember. I don't know um, if I've ever seen that. Okay, movie. well, worth a watch as yeah. a couple. So, um, okay, so and that's young, my embarrassing. those guys. I mean, I would say, like, yeah, I, I get right. it. I get it. They're all shirtless yeah. the whole time, too. Yeah. This yeah. Is, That was my embarrassing one, just to meet you where you were at. <laughs> just, just to meet you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, of course, I have to mention, I mean, this is maybe too typical, but Mr. Darcy. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe I'm just thinking of Colin Firth in the BBC version of Pride and Prejudice. Um, but I was also told recently that I needed to rewatch the... Um, the newer version, because, you know, Matthew McFadden is Mr. Darcy in that. And I kind of, I did watch that when it first came out, but I'm kind of against Kara Knightley getting all those literary roles. Like, I just, I just emotes and I don't, you know, and once you've seen the BBC version, it's hard. I'm getting on a soapbox, but I have pledged to go back to watch Matthew McFadden as Mr. Darcy because I do love Matthew McFadden and not just because of Succession, but because of his other work in kind of masterpiece theater. So that's my other... See, I Crush. do like that version of Pride and Prejudice, but I don't know if I've ever seen the BBC <gasps> one. So, oh, oh, wow. oh, I'm so excited for you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, the yeah, and even just like the cinematography in that one, just like when he's just like coming across the like field, and he's like in in like what the Regency period. Uh, like equivalent of putting boots on over your underwear is because he basically is in just like pants and a shirt, like no coat, no like. But any does he of that. dive into a pond like Colin Firth does in the BBC version? Because that. Okay, we I should don't probably remember see. now. <laughs> cool. I don't remember. Um, Great question, though. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) All right. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, If you would like to respond to our last chapter question or just reach out to us here at the show, you can do that by emailing us at downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. You can also reach out to us via social media with the hashtag downtimecpl. If you're feeling generous, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts because it helps people find the show. Thank you again for listening. And this has been another episode of Downtime. Downtime is a project of the Cranston Public Library and is produced by Elena Rios, Nomi Haig, Robin Nizio, and me, Taylor Cardillo. Audio engineering by Dave Bartos. Our theme music is Day Trips by Ketza. And our ad music is Happy Ukulele by Scott Holmes. Links to the books and movies discussed can be found in the show notes. Remember to rate and review Downtime on Apple Podcasts. Connect with the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the hashtag DowntimeCPL. And if there's something you'd like to hear on the show, send an email to downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the speaker's own and do not represent those of the Cranston Public Library. The material and information presented here is for general information purposes only. The Cranston Public Library name, in all forms and abbreviation, are the property of its owners and its use does not imply endorsement or opposition to any specific organization, product, or service. The content of this episode is the property of the Cranston Public Library and may not be reproduced without express written permission. Join us next week for more Downtime. Too much. (laughs) See, this is a problem we don't run into, like, recording virtually. I feel like less things happen that, like, set me, like, setting each other off. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs)